hard and they execute the system and that's what it's all about. Yes, there sir. Trust. Big trust. Big trust. trust. Hey, yes, sir. <laughs> right on cue. Hey, right on cue. Hey, I, let me close. The Jumbo Set is back. It is Friday, September 1st. My name is Jake Luke, and I'm Daniel Schultz. How are we doing? September. How, how are we feeling? Do you remember the something-something uh, September? That's how that goes. You are muted. Do you remember the 21st night of September? Yeah, there we go. It is little- September. We've got that uh, that crispness that I've talked about coming back into the air chilling in the 60s in the morning a little bit of a false fall situation we have 90 degree weather uh coming up on the forecast for next week but in the morning it's not that hot so we're seeing the the precipice of autumn around the corner i hope you're right i just i feel like we we do this every like late august early september we get a week like this and we just get all horned up and then you know we just get slapped in the face with uh, mother nature and uh, the the 90 degree heat and humidity for another like two weeks Correct. And really into October. I just hate when it's like late October, November, and it's like 83, but it's not that like fun 83. It's like the winter sun coming in and it's weird. There's like, it's, it's not dry, but it's like not humid. I don't know. It's gross, but it's football weather. It's here. I see You can smell, you can smell it. You can smell the fall air a little bit. It smells a little different. I can't, I can't smell right now. I've been sick all week. So maybe, maybe if I could, then, you know, I'd be a little more excited, but who knows? Maybe I need to. Maybe I need to binge Hard Knocks. I never got around to watching that. Oh, that will get you in the mood. This seemed like I, I only watched maybe the first two episodes, but it was it was good. It, you you have to watch because of Aaron. I mean, that's your guy. <laughs> yeah, that's truly my guy. I do need to check it out. I mean, you know, listen. I, I heard he came off pretty well. I I get it. I totally believe it. But it just it's the propaganda machine in in every sense of the word. And the guy is uh the guy's a charming guy. What can I say? I mean, he's gonna you know. I, I I used to be a really big fan of his, and may, there are probably some elements of him that I'd still really enjoy. But yeah, maybe I do have to check it out. You are a really big fan of his. You're like you're like a stan in the actual stan sense of like Eminem. Well, he was like, like before Mahomes. He was the now. guy before Mahomes. He was the guy that was like, oh, that's the best quarterback I've ever seen. And like he he might still be like really. He is the best thrower of a football that I have ever seen in person live, I would definitely say. And at this point, I think I've probably gone to maybe 130 Ravens games or so in my life. And then a couple odd ones elsewhere, some college football games, whatever. But watching him, I want to say maybe, when did he come to Baltimore? 2021. That was the game you got Omicron at. I'm not thinking of that game. Actually, I'm thinking of the one before that when they played in like maybe 2017 they played in uh they beat them in green bay but he didn't play in that, that game then him. 2013 the i guess it was 2013 yeah that was yeah. the uh the year after the super bowl i remember he hit jordy nelson on a long touchdown uh the ravens <laughs> flacco hit dallas clark with like a one-handed catch and they almost forced this like crazy comeback that, yeah that was a wild game yeah. that game rogers hit a 55 yard bomb in that game and i've never that was a, the prettiest throw I've probably ever seen in person. I mean, Flacco, Flacco is pretty high up there, to be honest, as well. Yeah, Flacco could really let that thing sing. But um, yeah, Aaron Rodgers, Jets, Jets are exciting. We'll yeah. get into we'll get into our NFL predictions next week. Today's episode, we were gonna 
just go through 53 man roster comes out. We had a couple other things on the run sheet here, but uh, really the point of this episode was like, all right, we're, we're locked in, locked and loaded. Sure. There could be a trade or another veteran signing or two, but this is pretty much the squad at this point. Yeah, pretty much. So I guess we can, uh, without further ado, jump right into it, by the way, uh, brought to you on the exit 52 podcast network, of course, by Jimmy's famous seafood. Uh, and I do want to pull up the crab cakes and baseball event, uh, that they have coming up here because it is going to be fe- featuring one Grayson Rodriguez and one Eric Arditi. So let me see if I can find that for you. Maybe you want to filler buster for me here a little bit. Wish I had pulled this. Yeah, out. absolutely. So the Ravens end up finalizing. We'll go through, but Josh Johnson is the backup currently for all intents and purposes was signed to the active roster. Come on, Seymour in that cornerback room, some of the Ravens have liked for a long time. And then our boy, Brent Urban. Brent Urban's a great guy. I got that. Yeah, I got the list in front of me right here. But yeah, it is Crab Cakes and Baseball, uh, September 25th. RDT is going to be there. Maybe we'll, we'll try to get out there as well. I think it's $75 minimum for a ticket. You can donate more. Uh, I believe it's going to uh, John, Johns Hopkins Children's Hospital. So check that out. Jimmy's famous seafood.com. Uh, but yeah, we really appreciate them. And then I've got the, so I've got it pulled up right here, courtesy of our friends at Baltimore Beatdown. Uh, quarterback offense right now is Lamar Jackson and Tyler Huntley. But to your point, and this is like a little bit of an outdated list because they did that typical fuckery. Uh, three of these guys that I mentioned are going to be on the IR uh, and they have been replaced by a couple of the guys that you mentioned there in Seymour, Urban, and Johnson. So quarterbacks on this list, offense, quarterback, Lamar Jackson, Tyler Huntley. But yes, Johnson was brought back up. Uh, and then I think it was, so Malik Ham, Keaton Mitchell, and then who else was it? Malik Ham, Keaton Mitchell, and Pepe Williams all sent to the injured reserve. So those three guys that were coming up. But uh, yeah, so Johnson coming up, he will be in, I guess, the three quarterback room. And I, I, it's interesting whether he or Huntley will be the backup. I kind of feel like it'll be Huntley. Like they didn't play him in the preseason at all. That kind of says something, I think, pretty good. I think they, they like the thought of him. Running back, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill. And then obviously I mentioned Keaton Mitchell into the IR. So it's a three running back room at the moment. Uh, Justice Hill looked pretty good in the preseason, obviously. Wide receiver was six. I guess we can kind of, this is maybe a good place to, I mean, really we can, we can start with running back. So Mitchell making the final roster there. They put him to the IR. Do you see him boomeranging back onto this roster at any point in the season? Keaton Mitchell. Yeah, probably at some point. I mean, I always say the likelihood of, especially in a smaller room like that, three guys all staying healthy for 17 games, really times three is extremely low. You know, getting 51 games out of those guys. All three of those guys have suffered a significant injury in the last two years, really at the exact same time all three of them did. So um, I doubt all three stay to that degree. Mitchell, uh, Melvin Gordon there too, and the, the running back right, Owen Wright from Monmouth, also in the practice squad. But yeah, I think Mitchell will get up at some point. The thing there is going to be how special teams plays out. He's going to have to be, if you're on the roster as the third running back, you are on every single special team in terms of kick, kick coverage, things like that. So uh, Mitchell to me as well, you know, looks super explosive, looks super exciting, can probably catch the ball pretty well from the the look of it and the, the buzz around camp. But, um, you know, what Cole kind of caught on to, and really when I looked at it as well after he said it was that haven't really seen the guy run between the tackles once. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really run between the tackles. We haven't seen that. Haven't seen any really physicality to his game yet, but Hey, I mean, sometimes you're just so fast that it doesn't really matter. And he kind of looks like that Raheem Mostert. Mostert can get a little, 
little oomph in the pads going here or there. And maybe Mitchell's not quite as like rocked up as him. But um, when, when you have that blazing death speed, that death, death beam speed that Mitchell has kind of displayed, maybe you can just make your living straight up bouncing to the perimeter. And maybe he is simply faster than even the first string guys on a starting defense in a regular season game. But long story short, yeah, I think he plays at some point. Yeah, and maybe he develops into that. I mean, Mostert obviously was in Baltimore and, you know, he – goes away for a couple of years to other places, kind of bounces around a little bit, then, you know, figures it out in San Francisco. So maybe Mitchell will have a, a similar career arc, but hopefully the Ravens will be able to hang on to him. I mean, with the uh, contract uncertainty with Dobbins and the health uncertainty with a lot of these guys, uh, you know, who knows? Wide receiver, Rashad Bateman, Odell Beckham Jr., Zay Flowers, Nelson Aguilar, Devin Duvernay, Tylen Wallace, Dante Demas uh, is waived, and he is not put onto the practice squad, I thought, a little bit controversially. And then the other big thing for a lot of people is James Prochet uh, finally uh, seeing his exit out of Baltimore. I think it was uh, it was more than past time for that to happen. Hopefully he catches on somewhere else. But not a whole lot of surprise with this group, especially considering how well Wallace really played there to lock down that sixth spot. Yeah, like you said, Wallace, who is – really a potential pro bowl special teams kind of guy. And I think that's maybe the funnest thing about the pro bowl is that like the special teamers get their shine in the pro bowl, the long snappers, the the gunners, things like that. The Matthew Slater pro bowl spot is always, uh, always locked up there, but Wallace can be that dude. It looks like he, to our buddy, Matt Waldman's point from a couple of years ago, Waldman's write up of Wallace coming out was that he clearly had not regained explosiveness in his final collegiate season after he tore his ACL and Waldman was like, I think this guy's going to be a, a steal because the possibility of him regaining that explosiveness, but getting drafted so late could line up to him being an outstanding value pick later. I don't think we've had quite seen that yet. We've seen him be a physical guy a lot, really on special teams and with the ball in his hands, things like that a little bit, uh, but not quite as explosive to me. He looks rocked up a little more, a little twitched up was coming in at his break super sharp, was being that physicality, but it was explosive physicality, pushing off, getting separation, adjusting late, being a little smoother and a little more confident. So um, you're a huge Tylen Wallace guy. This is big for big for your brand, really. Your your love for him is uh, maybe, you know, gone to the back burner a bit, but you do love Tylen Wallace. I did, man. I, th- I liked him as like a literally like a day two prospect, maybe like day one if he hadn't gotten hurt back in college. And, you know, it hasn't really fully developed for him in the NFL yet. But to your point, there's been health issues and a little bit of a log jam. And, you know, there, there were times where you wish maybe he would have stepped up when he had the opportunity, particularly last season, I thought would have been a good one for him, but hasn't really been there. And uh, yeah, I think this is a, this is just a good spot for him to be in. I feel like he, uh, he had that press conference where he was really candid about the fact that he was unsure if he was going to make the roster. And, you know, he said, I was sitting in my car just waiting for the call and the call never came. And that was a great feeling. And then, you know, classy moved by the Ravens to send him up to the press conference. And like, they, they only do that with guys that they have respect for. And they uh, feel like is going to be able to play some kind of role for them. Uh, so yeah, I think he'll have a, he'll have himself a nice season here and hopefully he can, uh, you know, have this be a building block towards a real career in the NFL. Cause it was looking dicey there for a minute for both health reasons. And for the fact that he just didn't totally look like he had the, uh, the speed to, uh, to compete against uh, certain, you know, NFL defenses, but you know, maybe he could become what people thought Prochet was going to be, you know, uh, that's sort of what, what I would look at him as maybe a Kamar Aiken kind of career arc. So that would be cool. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. Tight end. Room, let's, let's talk about the rest of the room before we move on quickly. I mean, the receiver room, everybody wants to talk about, uh, at this point, it is locked up, and the most talented receiver room on paper that the Ravens have ever had probably is Devin like, Duvernay overpaid, though. 
a lot of people, a lot of people asking that question and wanted to trade him for whatever reason, because, you know, the Ravens are famously, you know, they have all this wide receiver depth. As soon as you have wide receiver depth, just get rid of him, get somebody else. I, I, I was totally not on board with any of that. Yeah. Plus just even removing that. I mean, he's a dominant returner. He's probably the best returner in football over the last couple of years here um, on both punt and kick returns. So Love Duvernay there. Still waiting to see him translate that to after the catch. Maybe that's something that Todd Munkin can open up that, I mean, Greg Roman did. Everybody says, like, not enough screens, not enough jet sweeps. I've said it a thousand times. Duvernay had, like, the 17th most touches on screens and jet sweeps of any receiver in the last two seasons. So they were there, but it's like, where's the make somebody miss, run through somebody's face, 50-yard touchdown? We saw, like, an end-around where Ronnie Stanley laid a big block against the Bengals, I think in 2021 maybe when Burrow was out um, and and did something there. But looking for that to translate. But other than, I mean, Nelson Aguilar being, and I think uh, Matt Hardman said this, the guy that I always reference on Yahoo who does such a good job, especially with the, the reception perception. But he's like, the Ravens went from Demarcus Robinson at the end of last year being their wide receiver one to Nelson Aguilar being probably your wide receiver four, who's like, I think the words he used were, a very fine NFL wide receiver. Yeah. I think that's a good way to describe Aguilar. He's he, fine. He's a fine guy to have in your room. And he'll be a good three in a pinch when they inevitably have some health issues at the top of that lineup. And it's the same thing goes for Duvernay. Duvernay would be a solid wide receiver three in a pinch as well. You want him to ideally be a wide receiver four or five. But I mean, he can make some plays in a phone booth. Don't forget what he did in the first month of last season. That first game, he comes out, he scores two touchdowns, one of which a contested catch in the corner of the end zone. You know, he's got the speed to separate. If you use him properly, he doesn't necessarily have the uh, quickness or the fluidity to uh, do it in creative ways, but I don't know if you get him in the uh, the right circumstances, he can make some plays for you. And uh, he's definitely got a nose for the ball and uh, an explosive, explosive player. So good wide receiver five, and yeah, Aguilar, like man, he's he's been a significant contributor on some pretty solid offenses and some solid aerial attacks the last couple of years. So excited to see him uh, as the wide receiver four there. To your point, yeah, all those guys really have inside outside versatility. Um, Aguilar has played in the slot, has played flanker, has played on the ball. Bateman did all of those things in Minnesota. We've seen him do all of it in the NFL. Odell, super successful in the slot for the Rams. Zay Flowers can beat press on the outside and has all those those quick separation, quick twitch separating skills. Um, so all those guys should be really interchangeable. And Flowers is a guy that, you know, Boston College's offense talent-wise wasn't very proficient but they asked a lot of him in terms of different roles and routes and things like that over time. So shouldn't have a big acclimating period. I mean, he played a ton of snaps. He was playing a ton as a freshman and was a four-year starter for them. So um, nobody that's really green in the gills in my mind. My question for you to, to, I guess, maybe transition out of this, the last thing is like Zay Flowers' hype has grown to a massive level considering, you know, drafted in the 20s, um, talked about regularly on like NFL Network and Good Morning Football and all that stuff. So, where are you at currently with with Zay Flowers? I'm uh, I feel myself falling for him hard. Like this is <laughs> this is like 
you know, you, a girl in high school or whatever, you know, you, that, that first ever crush type deal. Like this is kind of feeling that way a little bit for me. Like I've never allowed myself with first round wide receivers, particularly because I didn't really believe in them in the first place. Like Brashad Perriman, great kid. I really never believed in that as a first round draft pick. Yeah, that was arguably the most head scratching pick of, of Ozzie Newsom's. Yeah. And they just, they never took swings like this. They never took guys in the first round and then they started to And Hollywood. I actually, I liked him, but I, I probably sold myself on him a little bit. Like with what, I'm seeing with this guy like and I was talking about it with the guys when I was uh at uh, FedEx Field and I was in that end zone that he scored in like I, I have not seen a Ravens wide receiver make a move like that probably ever and it, it's a preseason game I totally get it he's kind of out there like you know like the dad doing batting practice off his four-year-old in the backyard a little bit uh, is the analogy that I would make but you know he just he looks different and I made the comparison with the guys and you'll probably hate it but I saw some comparisons of a certain a uh, wide receiver who has since lost his mind that used to wear number 84 uh, that, you know, I'm not going to go all the way there, but it reminds me a little bit of that guy. And uh, I'm not going to say it, but. No, I mean, I think that's fair, especially even just in like the movement skills. It doesn't, it, it might not be. Movement skills you know, combined but, with strength. Like there is a power and a heft and a power train to this guy that did, that did not exist in that guy's cousin. Let's just say that. Right. And with AB, like AB started out as a returner that got in on offense a little bit and had some unique movement skills. Then he turned into this really insanely top one, maybe ever polished receiver. And maybe Flowers isn't, you know, probably isn't there, but the movement skill, the ability to manipulate space and defenders and create separation, all those things very early, that's what AB was. And then it turned. It just reached another stratosphere of him being like a perfect, technically perfect receiver. Um, but I think when you just watch the way they move, the ability to to really throttle down and kick into high gear and like separate without ever maybe being the fastest guy. Like both of those guys are fast, but it's like, oh, Zay Flowers isn't some twenty three mile per hour Tyreek Hill like four two forty guy, but he can maintain a higher. It's like Lamar. You can maintain a higher level of speed at steeper angles than most guys can. So that is where you separate, not with just dead running straight, burning past everybody. He seems like uh, he seems like he wants the ball, like he wants a spotlight too. Like it, like cause there were times with Hollywood where it just and a good kid. I really don't have anything against him. There's times with Rashad Bateman too, where I'm like, what are we what are we doing with this attitude stuff? What are we doing on social media? What are we doing with this and that? They're not the type of people that are forthcoming towards leadership. Yeah, like, They're and not, it's not even, and it's not even that Zay seems like this great leader, leader, quote unquote, in that sense of the word, but a lead by example in the sense that he's like, I just don't care what people think of me. I'm going to be goofy. I'm going to rap in front of the team and have that video go viral. And I'm going to like, you know, hang out with Lamar and feel like I totally belong. And I'm going to be in these social media videos. He just seems like a very chill kind of guy, but also like very intense when it comes to his work and his preparation. And like, it just didn't, I don't know, Hollywood, you know, playing the video games and Bateman doing some of the, like some of the calling out on social media. Like it, it doesn't feel like he has that gear. And I think the Ravens will be very happy about that. He uh, he's comfortable in his own skin and he's super charismatic and it's uh, it's like a magnetizing factor where people want to be around him. This is what uh, Darius Butler was saying on Pat McAfee, I think today or yesterday, but he was like, it looks like everybody wants to, to talk around about him, to be around him. And he exudes a ton of joy and happiness and things like that. And, you know, Hollywood didn't ever really seem comfortable 
like when he ended up being the de facto leader of the room, I remember him making comments like that. It's really weird. And it wasn't maybe, you know, what he was expecting. And he was never really expecting to be that top performing leader, especially that early in his career. And I feel like that's part of the reason why he was uncomfortable in Baltimore. Like he got to go to Arizona with DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray, and that made him feel really good. Yeah, and to be fair, he did not he did not have Odell Beckham hoovering up the spotlight in front of him, which is probably helping Flowers to an extent. Definitely, and uh, Odell hypes him up a ton and all that stuff. So I think it's a lot, and all this stuff you know is football, but it isn't football. The things we always talk about in that vein, but like when you have Odell on your team and he's in your room, it makes you feel really legitimate. And really validated. And even if Odell isn't what he used to be, but it's like, I'm rolling with that guy. Like, I'm like basketball. Receivers are such basketball players. The Daniel Jeremiah thing, we've talked about 10 billion times, but it's like that same vibe of like, oh, I'm rolling off the bus in my room, my kind of basketball style team with a known badass. I'm associated with that. I feel good about it. So, um, yeah, Bateman definitely seemed a little weird and, and does his own thing and is a little bit more of an introverted guy in some ways, but also like loves social media and YouTube and stuff. So, yeah, Flower seems a little bit more old school, like '90s receiver. Like he wants—that's what I was to gonna say. He shit. seems like a—he seems like a throwback. Like he's not super active on social media. He does like some stuff on Instagram and stuff, but he's not like on there talking all the time. He's just kind of like—he's got like this goofy smile on his face sometimes. He just seems like a jock. Like those other guys, right. like they, they like a not like receiver, all, like the classic tweet. Yeah, you know, tight end derp receiver. The enemy speaks softly but wields a knife or whatever it is. He is not. He acts like a running back or like a tight end, not yeah. a receiver. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting dynamic. And like, obviously, like we're playing armchair psychiatrists with these guys and stuff. But, you know, nothing against any of them. It's just that it's an observation that I've noticed that he just personally seems to be on a little bit of a different wavelength. And I think it's a welcome difference. Right. And at the end of the day, you know, football wise to transition to the rest, we have a ton more to cover. You know, they have four guys. I mean, Duvernay can do a lot, too roles wise comfortable Duvernay's talked about that them getting him reps all over you've got four or five guys that can play in a bunch trips iso slot whatever so the interchangeability as well as the depth that that creates it's like there's not one guy even at the top or in the middle where it's like okay we lose Aguilar or we lose Beckham now we don't have someone that can do these seven things that it's cutting out of our playbook so that is a layer of depth that is like not on paper that it's not like, Oh, okay. Well they go like two wide receiver twos. So it's fine if one goes, no, it's like all of the jobs they can do on the field for you are interchangeable. So you're super comfortable. It makes you more multiple, really fun room. No doubt. Moving on to tight end. We have Mark Andrews, Isaiah likely Charlie Kolar, Patrick Ricard with Travis Vokalek not making the final roster. And I don't believe he made it to the practice squad either. The preseason standout. He did make it to the practice squad. He did. Okay. Yeah. So he's uh, he was a little bit of a hot commodity. Uh, Nobody has since put in a claim for him or anything, but yeah, maybe he'll get the chance to stick around in Baltimore and develop, but no surprises here. But I mean, Isaiah likely to your point on Twitter the other day did not suit up in preseason at all. Seems like they have pretty big plans for him this year. I was wrong about that. Apparently he did suit up in the very beginning of the first game and got hurt. And then they just didn't play him again. Ah. And everybody was like, you're an idiot. And I was okay. like, oh, shit. Well, I have no recollection of that happening, but I've, seven people said it. So I'll believe them. Okay. But I feel like I, I made that comment and it still feels the same way. It's like, I don't know. I don't think likely was going to get the snaps that Kohler had to take. And there's, you know, Kohler was playing catch up from an injury and stuff like that. But I think likely is in for a monster year. Um, it might be a little bit more of him 
having to go through the Josh Oliver, Nick Boyle school of, you know, kicking ass in the, in the paint a little bit more so, but man, that kid is super talented. And I'll tell you what, you know, you knock on wood for Mark Andrews, always a, a real centerpiece of this franchise, but shit, man, likely felt really good at the end of last year in many ways, looked way better relative to expectation than as a blocker. And you feel like even like fantasy football wise, like if you want, if you're in a 14 man league or some shit, go grab Isaiah likely. That's a hell of a handcuff. If Mark Andrews were to miss some time for any reason. So that room feels really good. Kohler looks all right. We'll see. He just kind of, he like, he reminds me of like skinny Todd heap or something weird. I don't like, he's a, li- he's a little stiff. Yeah. He's not super. He's, I mean, he's gigantic. He's six, seven. So he just, doesn't, yeah, if, he you doesn't can, if you can box guys out, you'll, you'll carve a career out for yourself in the NFL. He has, yes. He has ball skills, but he just, I don't know. He's not like strong, like a Jared cook. That's that height. And he's not like fluid, like a Gasicki or something that's like that kind of, but, um, I think the ball skills are fine and we'll see what he can do in line. So yeah, he's a fourth rounder. He'll develop, you know, that's, that's, they, they probably got a plan for him. He needs, he needs to take the, speaking of Nick Boyle school of things, he should take the Nick Boyle school of performance enhancing. I was going to say there, there was probably some, uh, impropriety going on at that school in terms of what you're Ooh, putting into your I'd body. be, I'd be, if I was in charge, I'd be pumping that boy up. Yeah. He'd be yeah. taking a little suspension or two pumping him up. Which is fine. I mean, just have him take that suspension while they don't need him, and then, you know, God knows what happens down the road. And I mean, Vokalek looked pretty freaking... Vokalek looked like him, but a little more fluid, to be yeah. honest. He, he he had a little bit more Chad to him as well. He was, you know, you yes. know, throwing, you know, gang signs at the camera, whatever he was doing. I don't know. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like... This is a Vocal, this is a big Vokalek podcast. It is. We're with the Flying V. We're big fans. Um, so, yeah, tight end room. I mean, not probably not a whole lot to say there, right? Ricard is there, too, to go block and be the... the Made the team. Player monster as a surprise to some people um everybody fuck off yeah uh offensive line ron stanley john simpson named the starting guard after the third preseason game one of the funnier pictures that i've seen of him just like standing there with his arms at his sides uh with a, a, a smile plastered across his face and a great story he uh he came out and said that um after he got cut by the Raiders, or I, I don't know if he was just kind of a free agent, they let him go, but he said that he had basically like lost all confidence that he could literally do his job. And uh, just a few short months later, here he is winning the starting left guard job. Uh, so good for him. Tyler Linderbaum will be your starting center. Kevin Zeitler, Morgan Moses rounding out that right side. And then on the bench, you've got Dan Falele, Patrick McCary, Malasala, Alumavai Laualu, uh, Ben Cleveland, and then Andrew Voorhees is on the non-football injury list. Uh, so I guess they will be keeping him on the 53. I'm not sure what the technicality is there. So he's, he's, the, done, he's done for the year off, off the 53. Okay, yeah. So uh, off the 53 then. Uh, I mean, thoughts here. It's like, like I said, no surprises. Like I said with tight end, no surprises here. Really, it was just kind of came down to that left guard spot, and John Simpson just kind of put his hard hat on and brought his lunch pail every day, and he earned that thing. Not through talent necessarily, but through hard work. Yeah, for sure. I like that there is someone with some brute strength next to Linderbaum. Um, I, I like the idea again. You know, powers could powers mentally. You know, his play style was kind of like that. He go pop a guy, but Simpson can really throw some bodies around, especially uh, cleaning up and pass pro when his head's on a swivel if he's uncovered. So I like that having the super quick, athletic, smaller leverage Tyler Linderbaum between those dancing bears and uh, John Simpson and Kevin Zeitler there. Uh, I mean, really, you know, it's it's Ronnie Stanley 
having his first full healthy year since 2019. So that's super exciting. We heard Morgan Moses talk about that a bit. Um, I'm just curious here with these starters. Let's see, like for instance, last year, Linderbaum, and a lot of people talk about his pass pro, and Cole and I broke him down a ton That and then that pre-draft process. Definitely stronger as a run blocker overall than in pass pro, but Roman asked him to have, and PFF reflects this, and I do like these charts PFF makes, like grade relative to expectation, who has the hardest assignments. It's probably imperfect. It's definitely subjective. But you can tell Linderbaum, as a small rookie, 22-year-old, younger guy who doesn't even have a beard yet, was getting asked to do a lot as a rookie. So in Munkin's offense, I'm anticipating maybe he has a little bit more help and can be weaponized in some different ways. Um, Roman did do a lot with him in that sense, but maybe you ask a little less of Tyler Linderbaum, and I think that enhances him a ton. Then beyond that, I mean, McCary can play all over. Who the hell knows what goes on with Ben Cleveland? I mean, the guy just, I'm not, I don't know this for sure at all. I did hear one thing that the Ravens were higher. Basically, if the Ravens didn't draft him in the third round, he wouldn't have been drafted for like another hundred picks at least. So the what I've picked up on is that it sounds like, and I don't know, maybe he's the hardest worker in the world. Maybe I'm a jackass for saying this, but Cleveland was always the last one in and the first one out at Georgia. And maybe that's the sense in Baltimore. So doesn't really get a chance. Based on everything that we've heard, like, and we don't have to get too much into it. I'm surprised he's on this team. It, it just, yeah, it like, seems like they want nothing to do it. It kind of, it kind of also does remind you of Ben powers though. I mean, powers was drafted in a somewhat similar spot in the fourth round was supposed to be a really good, you know, pass pro capable guy pro ready. Then just didn't really get a chance. Ended up having to play in some games. Then finally, you know, the Ravens ran out of options, threw him into the game, and then he turned into a sixty million dollar guard. So I don't, I don't know what Jody does. Maybe it's this me reading too far into it, into the social side or the psychological side again is like maybe it's this whole long term development thing where you just beat the shit out of someone mentally to the point where you know that you've like sharpened them and brought out some anger in them and stuff and. You know, when they get their opportunity, they they'll take it more seriously or something like that. I don't know, but it just makes no sense that he really never had a shot unless he's just the most nonchalant, non-caring, unassuming, I don't care about the playbook guy in the world. That's the only way that it makes sense, is is one of those two kind of routes to me. So very obscure. Yeah, Staff Sergeant Harbaugh gotta gotta whip him into shape. Um, but yeah, there's always gotta be somebody in the doghouse. I think uh, no matter who you, maybe Andy Reid's the only guy that doesn't have that. But like, which is funny. I mean, he's coming from that coaching tree. You would think that he'd be a little more easygoing. But well, his coaching tree might technically be Andy Reid, but it's actually the Jack Harbaugh school of hard knocks. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see, man. My prediction is that Ben Cleveland ends up playing left guard at least like six games this year and does a good job. No, you're probably right. It feels kind of like a, uh, a by committee type deal, um, which is usually how that kind of stuff works out. And they usually figure it out and they're fine. So, yeah, we'll I can't see. wait to see my closing comments on the offensive line. Uh, you know, hopefully Morgan Moses Coles Coles, very uh, hesitant on his ability to be in Munkin's scheme a little bit. Um, kind of that he he has his eyes on that to see how he fits in with some of the zone stuff and whatever. But uh, Daniel Falele, man, obviously I was super high on him and I kind of counted him out. I was like, oh, Roman's gone. He might be gone. He looks fucking good. He looks fucking. I see. That's what I was gonna say. What are we seeing anything from him this year? Because I mean, you know, you're you were a Stanley injury away from him getting snaps last season, which he did, and then it feels like it could happen again this season on either side. Yeah, exactly. So I think it looks like his development's going really well. 
we have heard from the coaching staff he is a really hard worker. He does stay at the facility all offseason, like stays around and stuff like that. Well, so. He's not going to go home. I mean, that's a fucking 24-hour flight. <laughs> that's true. Uh, that's very true. But I think I think we'll see Falele be the starter next year at right tackle. So I think there's a nice contingency plan over there. Um, and, you know, I think if this line stays healthy, they're in a good spot. You have McCary to go plug a faucet as needed or plug a, a drip wherever. So they're in a pretty solid spot considering where they were like 18 months ago. So really looking at the offense as a whole to round out before we head over to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, I'm not really concerned about anything on like talent wise. I mean, we'll see what Munkin's scheme is. I tend to think that for kind of those first year coordinators on the offensive side of the ball have a little bit of an advantage of not having tape out of what your iteration of this offense will be, especially when you haven't been in the NFL for a minute. So I'm expecting a pretty hot start from this offense. We'll get into predictions more next week, but going through the roster, I mean, where's the weak spot? I don't know, man. That's yeah. That was my only question with the offense. Can, can you know, can Todd Monk and chop wood? And I mean, like it, it feels like with the, the talent levels that NFL offenses are at, they kind of just run themselves to an extent, you know, in this day and age. So, you know, he, he's going to have to work it out aerially. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of... If you get out of your own way, they'll be good enough to win games. Yeah. You don't have questions. You just have to stay out of your own way. You got a quarterback that can play out of structure and, like, do stuff for you. And, you know, it, it's just one of those things where you, you just got to steer the ship. And I, I think he will, but who knows? We'll see. That was And that was really Roman's problem. It felt like he ended up having too much influence in results when he could have gotten out of his own way a little bit more. Yep, pretty much. Moving over, the de- moving over to the defense, starting with the interior defensive line, we've got Michael Pierce, Justin Matabike, Broderick Washington, and Travis Jones. This list will also include Brent Urban. Interesting list here. Yeah, I think that's a really kick-ass defensive line, and I say kick-ass in the sense of like they want to beat people up. They want to maul, fight, punch, claw, they want to have absolute war, like war of attrition in there. Probably not going to get a seven sack guy out of anyone in that group. Probably not going to, you know, have an all pro. I think the world of Justin Matabike, we hope he does. We, we, we've said we hope Justin Matabike is like an $80 million player at the end of this season. And he very well could be. But man, those guys are fucking mean. Travis Jones is a mean SOB. Broderick Washington is a mean mug. Brent Urban stands up to double teams. He knows what he is. He loves what he is. He is the most I get no glory or love ever kind of guy. Michael Pierce, though, on the other side, he's he's kind of a flashy, he's a flashy nose tackle. So I think those two guys have a funny dichotomy. And then, um, you know, that that group man is just ready. And I'll throw, I think the Ravens list Clowney as a defensive lineman. He might end up playing a little bit of that Campbell Fortex, something like that. But um, you know, it's not anything where you look at it, especially from an outsider's perspective. I think if you're in the national media or, you know, whatever, a team that's looking at the Ravens offensive line, they're not guys that have stats. They're not guys that, you know, pop at you. If you just look at them blankly, Anthony Weaver's done such a good job, outstanding job who apparently, I mean, as assistant head coach designed a lot of the practice schedule this year and stuff. So big year for Anthony Weaver, but those guys are so technically sound, especially against the run and making sure that they build that wall for Mike McDonald to have those second level defenders pressure off of i think this i'm the the edges scare me very frankly and we'll talk about that in a second but this defensive line should be really the core of this defense in my opinion as it's built like that is the the fire in the bowels of the ship 
is this defensive line that's making this thing go and will, if they're successful, be why they're successful. Yeah, with Travis Jones's pedigree, I mean, people were talking about him as a first rounder last year, and he has looked every bit the part pretty much whenever he's gotten the chance, including this past preseason where he looked awesome. Washington went and earned that extension. He's just a, a lunch pail grinder kind of a guy, which is awesome. Meta BK kind of bringing that speed, that talent uh, in, in the way that you mentioned there. And then Michael Pierce, obviously, he does have a little bit of uh, flash and panache to him, which is fun. How is he going to come back from that injury? Especially, you know, he's getting a little bit older, longer in the tooth, but can they get something out of him after signing him to that contract as something to track? And then, yeah, Brent Urban, just uh, everyone kind of knows what Brent Urban is. I think Brent Urban knows what Brent Urban is, and he's going to bring uh, bring just a, a workmanlike attitude to that line. So good to see. Moving on to outside linebacker, Tyus Bowser, non-football injury list or NFI. I mean, he's going to miss the first four weeks of the season. So starting with Jadavian Clowney after him, Odafe Owe. David Ojabo, Tavius Robinson, the rookie, and then they list Malik Ham here. He is on the IR. So it's Robinson, Ojabo, Owe, Clowney starting out. Yeah, it's a little uh it's a little interesting. It it Owe could have a good year, sure. We just haven't seen it like a lot of things could very, happen. I mean a lot yes, exactly. That's a great way to really sum up everything I was gonna say. The Ravens outside linebacker philosophy or strategy reminds me a lot of what they've done at receiver the last couple of years. They drafted a couple guys decently high. They haven't thrown a lot of money at it at all. It's They, they haven't thrown a penny at it, really. Um, they've stayed away from it. The difference to me is that, and we saw some preseason numbers, we know what Mike McDonald is. I talk about it all the time. He's going to simulate pressure. He's going to blitz Queen and... Smith and Hamilton and Humphrey and Stevens and Williams and Washington and whoever, Mallet, whoever else. So the idea is that the system is the pass rush. The pass rush isn't the system. I, I like that, but I just, I think when you play good quarterbacks, especially veteran quarterbacks, especially mobile veteran quarterbacks like a Mahomes, like a Josh Allen, if you can't get pressure with four, they're going to score points on you. You will have to outscore them. I'm not comfortable with where they are currently. I like the Clowney signing. I like Ajabo's potential. I don't think we've seen Ajabo in the preseason do anything really that he's going to do in the regular season. He's not going to play, I don't think, on a ton of running downs or neutral downs on first down. I think he's going to be speed rushing. I think he's going to be in his bag. I don't think we saw him try to use anything that he did at Michigan at all. And we know he's going to do it because it was Mike McDonald's defense at Michigan. So, hey, could be a 10-sack guy. Could be everything. You know, Ravens fans want all that stuff. OA, every offseason is a great offseason. He he feels like, you know, two steps on the – I like OA. I've highlighted him many times, done a ton of breakdowns of him. But he feels kind of like a little bit of a Miles Boykin-ish with a more talented player maybe that you've seen where it's like, holy shit, he's a monster in practice. He has all these clips come out. And then we just haven't quite seen it. Chuck Smith said we'll know his signature pass rush move. I see a lot of spinning happening a lot with him, um, which makes sense. He's a good basketball player and super quick and all that stuff. He said he's going to be a more power-oriented player. I've been screaming that into the from the mountaintops into the void for for two years now. So we'll see. But Bowser with his knee, what the hell? Who the hell knows what's going on? You know, we like Clowney, but that's nothing about the Ravens' front defenders. That front four or five guys is like oh shit, we need to double team him on passing down. He's going to beat us in a four-man rush. So I think they're relying very much on scheme 
which is fine. It's a very nice scheme. It's a well-respected one league-wide. And McDonald is, you know, talked about super highly among coaches around football. But I just feel a little uncomfortable with it. Um, like I said, especially, you know, against a Burrow or against who's – what do you, Burrow got the lid put on him last year after he blew the Ravens up. So what do you think they're doing this offseason? How do you go generate explosive plays against the Ravens system? It's that, that chess game that goes on. So a weird room. Um, we'll see, man. It could be anything, like you said. Yeah, it's our deep dive too, presented by Fed Thrill. Uh, promo code exit fifty two for ten percent off. Check out Fed Thrill sunglasses. Still very much sunny season and going to be for the next couple months. So check them out. But yeah, treating edge like wide receiver last year. That, that's what you brought up. That's what you just uh, brilliantly pontificated on there. And I am in total agreement with you that it just feels like a thing where I never understood why they did it with wide receiver. Where was? any empirical evidence that would say that oh well we'll just figure it out you know we'll live at the margins and wide receivers are not that important because that's how it was in the late 90s and the early 2000s when we started doing this whole scouting thing and some of the principles that you know we found out like the uh the compensatory picks and all that stuff they worked out well for us and uh you know because bill belichick said in 1991 that wide receiver doesn't matter we're just going to stick that way and we're just going to keep doing it it just never made sense it makes a little more sense to me when you're talking about eggs because this is a defensive oriented franchise they've always found a way to kind of figure it out but you know to that same point to the counterpoint there a little russillo straw man myself when is the last time the ravens had like a dominant pass rusher or we were able to generate sacks just through one guy and without like scheming up interior pressure and all that kind of stuff and commit resources that could be better used elsewhere it hasn't happened and they haven't been able to get home with four man rushes and that's to your point not going to work in an nfl where it's joe burrow take a snap from the shotgun take one step jamar chase boom scores on a slant like you got to be able to got to be able to beat guys one-on-one you got to be able to even beat double teams occasionally at times you need dominant guys and a Jadavian Clowney five years ago would have been that guy maybe but it's it's not right now he's going to be a solid contributor I think but he is not the answer Odafe Owe as far as I'm concerned is not the answer until he proves me otherwise David Ojabo the DAC is kind of stacked to get stacked against him being a 15 sack guy can he be an eight to ten sack guy you know I think that's still within his potential but we will see uh, it's going to be hard. Uh, and yeah, they, they, they just need it to happen. Otherwise they're in trouble. I think for sure. And I, it's like, there's levels of it. Like I trust Harbaugh. I trust McDonald. I trust the, you know, Eric DaCosta enough that it's enough to go to the playoffs and that's fine and dandy. And, and my point that I meant to bring up that I'm now remembering I shared it earlier. This is away from the roster, but it's like, oh, the Ravens like the Ravens lead the NFL in defensive points allowed at home under John Harbaugh since John Harbaugh became coach. It's like, okay, well, last year you blew how like what six leads, you know, three, four of them at home. So got to figure something out. But to me, then I was like, the, to do the exact same straw man thing you just did was like, well, they also couldn't score in the fourth quarter either, and that prevented them from being able to put games away out of reach to maybe take some of the stress off of their defense in their young defensive coordinators first month or two of the season as his first time calling plays at the defensive uh, coordinator level in the NFL. So I, it's like, okay, well the pass rush might be the receivers. Like it might be, we're going to put games away by scoring and we dedicated more resources to that side of the ball and that room. And therefore the one place we didn't end up taking from resources other than a first and a second round pick and a couple million dollars to Clowney and some, you know, five million to Bowser here and there. 
it was the outside linebacker room. So it's a give and a take there. I just still, at the end of the day, if you want to win a Super Bowl, go look at the 49ers. Go look at the Eagles. Go look at even the Chiefs because they have Chris Jones, who is the second best or best interior lineman in football. They have a monster or a combination of guys that will go win with four. If you can't win with four, you won't win the Super Bowl. Yeah, and you got like you got a twenty million dollar inside linebacker. You got a first round inside linebacker next to him. Hopefully, they can stop the run and they can get offenses into second and ten and second and eleven. You got a safety room that is very heavily invested in. Hopefully, they can take away the big play and set up those kind of situations as well. Uh, it's just you know, it's one of those things. It is the the economics of the sport. It is the trade off. But uh, if this year doesn't, you know, if if it winds up being a serious Achilles heel for them, I think they're going to need to reevaluate. And that, that, that's what I think is the the silver bullet is that they are Eric DaCosta is it's not that he, I was going to say more than comfortable. He prefers to go buy those guys at the cheapest at the trade deadline. It's like Black Friday for discount bargain bin shopping at, you know, Target right before the cash at the cash register. You can go get them for pennies on the dollar draft capital wise when a team's already out of it and they know that they're screwed and they just want to get what they can or else they're going to get a comp pick and get absolutely nothing or have to franchise a guy and then he holds out and yada, yada, yada. So we saw them getting Gakwe. Uh, I don't know what players off the top of my head are candidates for that right now. Chase Young, sure, but I just don't... I don't think Washington is going to be in position or should be in position even if they're with a losing record to get rid of someone like that. Nick, if this Nick Bosa contract thing, hang, you know, keeps lingering. If they can figure out a way to pay him, if they've won, I mean, if they're like, let's say they're like yeah. six and two and that thing is still going on. Like I'm thinking about a first round, you know, packaging. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. You throw, you throw a first round there quick for Nick Bosa. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, maybe there's somebody, maybe that, I think that has to be the plan, but then you got Tavius Robinson there. We'll see. I mean, Saw a couple reps where he was like a little, little feisty on stunts and stuff. So, so we'll see what happens there. But um, to me, that's the weak part of this roster. And shit, maybe a Jabo. I like a Jabo. I think he could be a good player, quick, especially as a pass rusher. But even still, like, where's the depth? Where's the rotation? Where's the injury insurance? Thin. It's thin. It's unproven. And that's where my concern goes. Yep. These are your trade offs. Uh, inside linebacker headlined by Roquan Smith got the big contract. Of course, Patrick queen behind him, Trenton Simpson, uh, behind him. And then Malik Harrison, Delshawn Phillips rounding out this group. So I said the defensive line there, that interior line is, you know, like the, the coal in the pits of the ship in the bowels. Then that is the, if this is the Titanic and it's the freaking luxurious dining room, with a thousand debutantes and oil barons and JP Morgan and whoever the hell else was in there. That is what this linebacker room is. It's been 84 Those, years. <laughs> it's been 84 years. Uh, those guys, you know, it's like the defensive line is, you know, your, your parents work two jobs so that you could go to college, go to art school. Like that is what those linebackers have in front of them. In my opinion, they should be kept clean this is the most dynamic linebacker group in the NFL. You know, I think that Fred Warner and Greenlaw in San Francisco, maybe they're better, but to me, this is a more, I don't know, more flashy, explosive, like spitfire group with Smith and with 
Patrick Queen. We like Malik Harrison. He's a role player. I like what he can do always and forever. Trenton Simpson, we'll see what he can do maybe in the second half of the year. Uh, Phillips looked damn good in his reps this offseason and, and through preseason as well, earned his, his spot on the team. So um, this group has to be like demonically making teams miserable. Like, and that's the interesting part. Like we talk about, you know, Josh Allen, who can go hound him down. Well, like Roquan Smith should be able to Patrick queen, you know, did get outrun by him a little bit on that one. Allen had to step on him on the corner whatever. But like, those are the athletes that are hunters, predators to the point where they can catch those elusive, you know, Rocky Balboa chickens in the backyard. Um, and those guys will be blitzing a lot, especially Patrick queen. I think he's a top five blitzing linebacker in the NFL. Smith, not far off either. Both of those guys, super, super, super impactful. So those big boys up front that are deep from in, in that four tech down to the nose tackle and Michael Pierce, the Ravens also go sign Bravi and Roy, who I think is a very good backup nose tackle as well. But um, those guys need to make this team win games and just make offenses. Like the Ravens are about to play Anthony Richardson, CJ Stroud, two of the first three weeks. Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen need to be making their life a nightmare. Like they need to be ruining their comfort zone, blitzing over the middle of the field against the run. They should be clean, ready to run, ready to rock, ready to hit, ready to thud, wrap up, end plays, end games, all that good stuff. So Roquan's got to play some chess with Joe Burrow in Cincinnati too. Like you, you're, you know, you're you're the the voice of that defense. You're the beating heart of that defense. Joe Burrow's making his checks. He's doing his thing. You know, you got to be all over that shit. You got to be communicative. And, and, and he already started that. The Bengals hate him. Yeah. They were talking bad shit about him uh, last year, and that's I think I think that's what the Ravens probably told him. They're like, "Hey, we just signed you to a hundred million dollar contract to basically piss off Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. So, no, we we're sick of having people throw over the middle of the field and right over our heads over the middle of the field. Go get fines, like go hurt people and make them hate you and not want to come over the middle of the field. So that is an amazing point. Yep, there you go. Uh, anything else on this group? They got what are we going to see out of Trenton Simpson this year? What do we think of him this year? Is what, what are we going to see out of him? I mean, a third-round pick, controversially, I didn't really love it necessarily. It feels like he had a quiet preseason. What's the, what's the outlook? I think with the type of explosive, he's, he's in that same mold. He should be explosive. So I think he's going to be that, that L5, that R5, that wedge-busting kickoff specialist. And... As someone that has two established, high-capital, high-paid players in front of him, I mean, two guys that are driving Lambos, you need to go destroy on special teams before you're going to see the field. Like, there's no path outside of injury. And I thought Malik Harrison, you know, he had a couple weird moments. He's always, uh, sometimes he misses some weird tackles that he shouldn't. I don't know, it's his poor tackling technique, some weird, whatever, but... I mean, he's going to come in if one of those guys goes down. It's going to be instantly, I think, Harrison, especially in the beginning of the season. So to me, Simpson is going to be a special teams player. Maybe he does get that chance, as we mentioned, with a thin outside linebacker room. Maybe it is like, all right, well, we're out of fucking options. Go rush the passer, young buck. Go wreak havoc and chase the quarterback around. Maybe we see a little bit of that early. And I think in the second half of the year, if he proves himself on special teams and whatever limited roles he gets asked into, they'll start finding packages for him. They'll start putting him on the edge. They'll start, you know, maybe taking Queen off for a couple snaps or whatever. So, um, I'm, I'm curious to see what he can do against running backs and man coverage and things like that. But I don't know. Linebackers have just had a super tough time adjusting as rookies um, more than any other position. It feels like the last five years or so. Um, so I'm curious how much involvement he has defensively, but I think special teams is where he has to make his hay. 
And if he turns into a demon on special teams, he's going to win the heart of every coach on that team, and then they'll reward him with playing time. I mean, look at Anthony Levine, look at uh, Worley, look at you know the the countless list of guys that have worked their way up the ranks on the Baltimore Ravens who care probably more about special teams than any team in the league. Yep, for sure. Moving on to the cornerback group, we have podcaster Marl and currently injured Marlon Humphrey headlining this group. Uh, he will be out for the first couple of weeks. Uh, Rocky Sin. Really going to be headlining him over that time. Ronald Darby behind him. Jalen Armour Davis, a former fourth rounder, uh, behind them, uh, along with Brandon Stevens. DeBerion Pepe Williams on the IR right now, so not going to be a part of this group. Then you got Arthur Mullet, free agent, uh, signing over from Pittsburgh. And Ardarius Washington making the team a little corner safety hybrid there. So for all intents and purposes, your starting group is going to be Rocky Sin, Ronald Darby, Jalen Armour Davis, Brandon Stevens, Arthur Mullet, and Ardarius Washington. Yeah, you don't feel great there. Um, we talked about, you know, depth of versatility on the in the receiver room, creating a layer of depth that goes beyond on paper. That's the opposite case here. I mean, Rockison has been a vertical plane corner, cover two corner, vertical plane corner, um, you know, playing a third, not asked to play man coverage at a high rate relative to the rest of the league. Um Ronald Darby, an older guy coming off an ACL. Stevens, just such a tough player to like feel confident about him not like to feel confident that he is a bust or sucks or feel confident that like he's there, he's ready to go, the development's there. It's like in that gray area constantly. Uh, Jalen Armour Davis has been banged up, hasn't you know? He kind of reminds you of Anthony Averett's path. Coming out of Alabama, not you know getting a ton of time, came in a little bit, didn't play very well, didn't play very confidently. So to me, the scheme is limited because of where they are, especially obviously without Humphrey. So your safeties are probably going to have to play pretty conservatively, and you're going to try to limit explosive plays and put those guys on the roof, and you're not going to be able to dip into some of your pressure packages or some of your more deceptive coverage because of the limitations that you have. I mean, the two starting guys weren't here last year. They're in a new scheme, in a new city, in a new place, and it's going to be week one. So, shit, man. I mean, I'm not surprised if Nico Collins and uh, Mechie and whoever the hell is Tank Dell, I guess, are like making some plays in that game. I would expect them to, to be honest. Like I said, so the, I don't have high expectations. I think expectations of that room, especially without Humphrey, are pretty low. They should be pretty low, but I think once Humphrey gets back, you'll probably be able to shit or get off the pot with Darby or Yasin. Yasin is obviously the expected starter more so, but it's like, all right, does Darby have it or not? Brandon Stevens is probably going to take a lot of snaps, I would think, and we'll see. With the uh, the other, I mean, Washington's a little bit of a mallet are going to be on the inside and playing the the seam vertical as slot corners more so. So I think it's a little a little different for them. I like those two guys a lot. Um, Washington, I'm excited to see him get his opportunity after grinding for so hard. And, uh, you know, what we had heard through the grapevine was that the only reason he kept stuck around with the Ravens was because, um, Chris Hewitt really liked him. And Wick Martindale was like, he's too small for me. That doesn't, that's like outside of my, uh, my acceptable threshold. And then Wink left. So McDonald probably doesn't feel that way and is, you know, putting him on the 53s worked. He was supposed to be like a freaking third round pick and, we, the, the whole media just underestimated how small he was, I guess, in the coach's eyes. So 
Uh, excited to see what a guy like that with a chip on his shoulder can do. But the corner room is not great, especially in uh, the first couple games without Humphrey. Yeah, notably they waived Caillou Kelly too, immediately kind of picked up by the Seahawks, put to their practice squad, which you made the point on Twitter that a long cornerback from the Pac-12 immediately picked up by the Seahawks. That's kind of a, a tough sign when you just let go of him. Right. And uh, returns to the West Coast, the best coast, and gets to go, you know, chill with the uh, the gum chewing, surfing Harbaugh, the uh, the complete three hundred and sixty Harbaugh. If you if you walk to the other side of the earth, it's Pete Carroll and uh, John Harbaugh, and they're just the East and West Coast versions of each other. Pretty much, just to like the two poles of the uh, the continent, really. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's that's a tough loss, I think, to to an extent. They would have probably loved to have him on the practice squad. Harbaugh said it. They wanted to keep him. It was just kind of a numbers game. They wanted to get a veteran in there with Humphrey's absence. So that's why they opted more towards Mullet uh, and some of the other guys. So yeah, tough to lose Caillou Kelly, I think. But who knows? I mean, maybe he'll make his way back here, just like we saw with Washington. Uh, who knows? You know, Stone too. Yeah, exactly. Floated around, but Stone was a little different, but. Um, yeah, it's it's rough sledding without Humphrey, and to your, you know, to exactly that point, I think if if Humphrey was just hundred percent right now, maybe a mullet. It would be Darby. They signed Darby as yeah. a direct result of Humphrey going down, so Darby wouldn't be here, and Kelly probably would. Um, so hopefully, I, I get. And even if Kelly, like you said, turns out, I, I get it. If you're like, I can't put this kid on the field in a regular season game against the Bengals in Week Two, you just couldn't. You had to make a, an exception somewhere. So. Uh, that's where DaCosta has deviated from the Aussie Newsom path. Aussie never let one go. And DaCosta is willing to uh, to make some more tough decisions there. But Yeah, two years in a row like now. With, kind with, of comes from the coaching staff wanting that more than, than probably DaCosta. Yeah, two fifth round corners. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I, I kind of like the idea of just kind of cutting your losses when it's time, though. Right. But, you know, like I said, who knows? Uh, safety. Got three listed here. It says four. I don't know what's going on with our, our boys over at B-Town, but we got Marcus Williams, Kyle Hamilton, Geno Stone, and then guys will have versatility to split reps between corner and safety, like Washington, as I mentioned. Yeah, I think technically Washington's a safety on the roster or whatever, but um, I mean, shoot, man. Geno Stone is a nice backup safety, and then you have two guys that are supposed to be all pros, really. Um, the highest player you've drafted since Ronnie Stanley, who turned into an absolute dog as a 21-year-old true freshman, a.k.a. rookie, and was a dog as a true freshman when he was a true freshman at Notre Dame. So those guys should both be getting all pro votes. I mean, you need them to. They should be better than a Hyde and Poyer were two years ago. Like Marcus Williams can cover deep hashes and really from far hash to sideline as well as anybody in the NFL for my money. We saw that last year. He came out like a nightmare over top. I think he had like 22 tackles in his first two games too. Breaks up passes. He can play man coverage. He, the the ability to go disguise and play that off man uh, opens up a lot of things. Interception and, and be, like every time he stepped on the field too. Yes, exactly. And and he's, he's loud. He's communicative. He uh, has went through a really career-defining adversity that has been replayed 10 billion times and just doesn't even seem to care about that at all. So he's got that real DB annoying mentality, and you know that's what makes those guys successful. If you watch Hard Knocks, you'll see how obnoxious Sauce Gardner is. It is crazy how annoying he is on the football field, but so is Marlon Humphrey. Um, all those guys are obnoxious. They're the worst. Corners, DBs, they're the worst. Yeah. So that group, I mean, Hamilton has to be just like Queen, really both Williams and Hamilton, have to be closing games out, making tackles in the open field, 
ending series, ending games, turning the football over. Um, the Ravens have invested up the spine. They invested in Washington. They invested in Jones. They invested in Pierce, Matabike, Queen, Smith, Hamilton, and Williams. That is where the money and the picks have gone, like uh, defensively, really pretty much. So that's your strength. That is your 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 uh, that's your whole ice cream and the hot fudge and the cherry, really. So uh, Marcus Williams and Kyle Hamilton, man, uh, will, they'll go as far as those two guys really with Queen and Smith in my mind can take them. Yeah, need, need a huge season out of both of those guys, I think. With the limitations at cornerback, you got to be able to take away stuff over the top. With some of the issues uh, at pass rush, you're going to be able to need to be able to cover guys longer down in those uh, those deep, dangerous areas. So danger close for both of those guys going to need them. Uh, special teams. Justin Tucker is your kicker. Surprise, surprise. Jordan Stout, the punter. And Tyler Ott, you know, coming in off the bench here to uh, be the long snapper with Nick Moore going down with injury. I'm sure you get a lot to say here. Um, This is the year where it's like you're happy, like, you can say this every year, but to me personally, like this is the year where I'm like, man, this is the year it's nice to have Justin Tucker. I don't know why it is, but he's been around a while now. Like I yeah. feel like he's been here a long time. It's starting to feel like he's going to get some grays in his beard and his hair a little bit. And he, Lord knows he's the first person that would dye his hair the second he sees one gray hair. But um, this is the season where I'm like, damn, he's still here doing what he's doing. He's going to turn 34 this year in November. Yeah. Not a spring chicken at all. 33, 34 to 33. That feels like a big jump in age. The three to the four there. Yeah, no doubt. That's early, early 30s to mid 30s. Exactly. As as you famously like to say. So um, curious to see. Stout looked like he had a little more control in the ball. Maybe a little more confident. Um, I think that, that he must be in a good place because he wasn't great last year. He didn't feel like a weapon at all. <laughs> and for them not to bring anyone else in at all feels like they're pretty confident in him at this point. Dude, I hope so. Like, you, you, you can't be spending a fourth-round pick and have him not. They had him. six of them. It was like, whatever. I know. I know, but <laughs> you, you, it's got to work out. Over, they took him over a Reza. That's all that counts. Well, yeah, that's they They had a good judge of character on that. Well, I, I don't know what's going on with that story. We don't have to comment on that. Whatever. It, it, regardless, it was a mess, and he wouldn't have been with the team, so it would have been a, a wasted pick for at least that season and whatever. So, yeah. We, I'm not going to pretend to be super privy on the details. Yeah, da- dangerous waters we're treading in. All we know is of those two players, they made the right pick. Yes, correct. Um, so we'll see. I mean, be a weapon, son. They also, <laughs> I mean, to no one's surprise, they're like, oh, he's the best holder I've ever seen. So that probably goes pretty far as well. He, yeah, I mean, Tucker made a couple clutch kicks last year, and uh, he, he called that out specifically. So they they when they drafted him, they're like, great leg, love him. I mean, low key, DeCosta was like, he went to Penn State. My daughter goes to Penn State. I'm going to draft the Penn State punters. My yeah. daughter, goes, oh yeah, dad. For sure. And he's a great holder. For sure. Anything else on this roster? Looking at it as a whole in summarization, like I said, I mean, offensively, it's it's Munkins. It should be Munkins' offense to lose. Like, stay out of your own way. It seems like he's setting up a pretty autonomous situation with a lot more checks for Lamar and. Um, you know, some people get into the whole thing. It's like, well, then he can just say it was Lamar's fault. Whatever, man. I don't care. But let get out of your own way offensively. Defensively, might be a, some tough sledding. Luckily, two rookie quarterbacks, but like Anthony Richardson, man. 
He's a dog. He's a beast. Roquan better better uh, strap that strap that helmet on tight. Exactly. But you've got Hamilton and OA and Queen and Smith and all those guys to deal with that. They only have the Colts have three receivers on their active roster right now. <laughs> crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy town. Shout out Michael Pittman, who just has like he's carrying the entire globe on his back like you're at a Hollywood Cafe right now. So and uh Alec Pierce, who uh, I just grabbed in Dynasty yesterday. So People, somebody was somebody in the media was like speaking very poorly of him. I was confused, but I digress. Um, man, those rookie quarterbacks, I don't know. The pressure system that McDonald has should overwhelm them. Joe Burrow hasn't practiced a ton, but Joe Burrow's Joe Burrow. So those first three weeks, we're going to learn a lot, I think. Um, I mean, at Cleveland week four, you better hope Humphrey's back for that too. It's not going to be easy. No, no, not at all. We'll get into that next week. But the Browns, to me, I mean... Browns are th- the, 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 the Browns might have to like dissolve as a franchise if they go like six and eleven this year. Like they have to win this year. There's a lot of people, myself included, that would really hate to see that happen. Oh, certainly. That would be just tragic. But yeah, four games, two of them are divisional games, two of them are rookie quarterbacks. So it's like maybe you can tinker a little bit. Week one, CJ Stroud. I don't I don't know. I'll get into it next week, but you know, you should be able to barrel through him. Uh uh starstruck rookie you know going against a pretty advanced scheme in terms of pressure looks things like that week two you get a real litmus test against a common foe week three hopefully is another situation where it's a little more limited for a rookie and then week four is another divisional game against another top shelf quarterback that you know you've beaten in the past and whatever but um they're gonna throw everything at you that they possibly can in the world so defense makes me feel a little weary and uh tempered they're really leaning into the scheme this year, I think, and communicating and a little of that positionless football that they've loved so much. But again, off your offense is your defense this year. I think that's the whole idea is that they have to put games away in the fourth quarter on the offensive side of the football. I guess they can do the whole long drive thing. They probably will to a degree, but it has to be touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Uh, they didn't do that last year. They let up a lot of them as well. Those are related. And... Score in the fourth quarter. That is where games have to be won this year. The Ravens played, I think, the second most one-score games in the NFL last year, and I think they went about 500 in them. So put them away. Score touchdowns with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, and I think your defense is in a much better spot. And if that doesn't happen, then I think it's a much more frustrating, pressure-inducing season on what your roster has. The best way to take pressure off their Weak spots and thin spots defensively is scoring late. So do it. Win some track meets. Uh, okay. So after that, we have our one burning question. This is brought to you by the Black Eyed Susan Spice Company. A little bit of a new sauce alert from these boys. They've got the Captain Clyde's Cannonball Crush, a nod to Maryland's favorite summer drink, the Orange Crush. This sauce delivers a mid-level heat that builds and builds with each bite on top of a smoky garlic and orange citrus blast. Try it on anything you grilled or smoked with the Death by Chocolate Dry Rub for an unbelievable hot and tangy experience. That is Black Eyed Susan or BlackEyedSpices.com where you can find that slash shop uh, and use promo code EXIT52 for 10% off all orders. So check those guys out, good dudes, and great hot sauce. One burning question that you had that... uh, you, you slipped onto the rundown here that I'm interested to see where you take this. Uh, take it away. I just don't, Mike, Mike, the question is how in the world 
can Odell Beckham Jr. and Marlon Humphrey like coexist on the same team? Like, you, know what's, you know what's funny about this is I always wondered like how were how were Odell Beckham Jr. and Eli Manning like teammates? Like did they ever? I was speak actually and- just talking about this to a friend earlier today. Um, like Beckham's quarterbacks have not been guys that he gels with at all whatsoever. It's Eli Manning. They have that hilarious commercial, and I'm sure there was some whole goofy thing, the vet and the rook, and you know the the dyed hair versus the you know the quarter zip and whatever. And it was funny, but like it wasn't smooth, especially at first, probably. And it became this whole thing. Don't even get me started on Eli Manning and my conspiracy theories. Yeah, but, I, saw, I saw you floating that the other day. I was kind of wondering if you were maybe imbibing in some illicit substances when you you put that one out there. When I watch Eli Manning, it makes me feel like I'm using illicit substances because I I just the guy used to be like a party hard brat mouth breather. And suddenly he's like this quippy little Hollywood actor type doing all these public appearances and in front of the camera all the time. It just doesn't make sense. Doesn't add up. I think he's a clone or a robot or a lizard person. But, wow. but with that in mind, Odell Beckham, cool, smooth, hangs out with Drake, fashionable, talk of the town, hangs out with cool, cool, girls and whatever and goes in all these cool places marlon humphrey hangs out with cool girls annoying loud obnoxious won't leave anyone alone is out of his mind on the football field smacking himself and they both kind of have some maybe similarities there but it's like marlon humphrey's dad was a running back and odell beckham's was also a wide receiver so it's still different like odell beckham's doing the whole net thing marlon humphrey's just like smacking himself in the face and shrieking but they just and even just it, get, it boils over to the point where like they hate each other. The, they're calling them the homegirls in uh, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey and Odell Beckham. Are, you know, Marlon Humphrey chokes Mar- Odell Beckham out on the field. I just the only thing that I want to see about Marlon Humphrey that I feel like I don't know. I feel like they kind of stay away from each other a little. I feel like Marlon is like really it's like a seven year old with like his mom's new boyfriend or something where it's like, I want to ask him so many questions right now, but I know my mom told me to shut up. Like he has so many things he wants to ask Odell, so many comments for him. And I know that he's just like not making them or asking. Well, you, you'll notice when he's making his like movies where he's just like, you know, putting all these guys in the locker room on all the blast in the world on his Instagram stories. Like Odell's never anywhere to be found in those. And he goes around to literally like every, every person in that locker room. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting the point. Flights, that I'm sure it'll get into the flight videos. I'm sure that will be a huge thing, whatever. But I feel like someone in the Ravens organization was like, Hey, Marlon, um, can we talk to you about like one minor thing? Can you just like leave Odell Beckham alone? Like get, stay away from him a little bit. And he's like, all right, all right. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing about Marlon is like he in his head thinks that like he's the people think of him the way they think of Odell Beckham. Yes, correct. Exactly. And who probably realizes that Odell Beckham. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's that's an interesting thing. I really hadn't thought of it like that. I really didn't. I kind of forgot about the whole like, choking him out thing too like i thought i i more associated that with peters but yeah he was very much in that in the mix and all that they went at it they were fighting like that whole game they were slapping each other and stuff i mean marlon honestly strapped him up pretty well that game but um i don't know i just think the the contrast there is like out of a movie almost and i just don't know how they can call like i just those two players shouldn't be on the same team in my mind like not that there's going to be an issue i'm not saying anything like that but it's just very peculiar. And Marlon Humphrey's a very weird guy. And Odell Beckham's had his weird stuff too. And it's just, I don't, 
I never would have thought they would be teammates. Like it is like a, it's it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito in a way. I never I never would have thought of this. This is a really really thought provoking thing that you're bringing to the table here. I, I do want to see them like I, they, they, I'm this plane situation week two from Cincinnati. God willing, they win that game. And I'm, you know, a couple couple beers deep and we're about to record and I'm like staying up waiting for that Instagram live. I want to be tuning into that if that happens, because I, I'm going to need to see what what we get out of it, because famously there have been some snubs and uh, it's led to some, you know, discussions on the Reddit and the Twitter. Does Nick Boyle hate this guy? What's going on? Um, I think it was pretty ingest, but I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll I, I, th- I think we'll get a. I, I mean, you can be fine with somebody, but also they annoy the living shit out of you as a teammate. And I mean, Marlon's an annoying guy. I, he says that himself. He says, I'm obnoxious. I'm loud. All those things. So, yeah, we love you, Marlon. But it's just, I just I, really, my real desire is to hear Marlon Humphrey's internal dialogue when he looks at Odell Beckham. I want to know what he's thinking. Like I said, I think he wants, I think there's things that he wants to ask him. And he's like, am I allowed to? Like, it's like the cool older brother's like friend that's like even cooler than your it's brother. Kinda, it's kind of like a, a a dude teach me situation, 40 year old version. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So just, it's just been on my mind. I don't know why. And Marlon has, shout out Jack Settlement. They're doing, uh, what, what is it? Punch, punch punchline line. pod. Punchline pod. That looks super fun. Jack actually, um, I've been talking to Jack. He wants to do some fun stuff with us. I think in this friend season, of a so. friend, a, a mutual friend. I just found out who uh, was at McDonough with him on a, a bachelor party a couple weeks ago. Good nice. friend of mine. Nice. Yeah. Jack's a good guy. He was actually there. He had a, I was watching Masson after the Orioles game and there was like UFC f- or like whatever, not UFC fighting on. And, uh, all of a sudden, Jack popped on my TV for underdog, and I was like, "Oh shit, man!" He was at the he was at like the Kentucky Derby. He was in the like winner's circles, like party or whatever. Yeah, he's everywhere. He's in Madison Square Garden all the time. He has the coolest job. He his job is like rivals like PFT and Big Cat. Yeah. So, yeah. very interesting, interesting podcast. Marlon, most interesting man, also the least interesting man, all at the same time. So, I, I just want like I hope that Odell signs for one more year, and then we can get like a little buddy cop, like Ravens Wired show that comes out. Like I hope that they have their own podcast next year, Marlon yeah. and Odell. Yeah, I definitely like I, I for a lot of reasons I hope that this is not Odell's only year here. Uh, and yeah, that's that's one of the many. Uh, is that all we got on this topic? That was more that was more interesting than I thought it was going to be. I'll I'll be honest. I it's I'm. I have, I have a lot, like I could keep going for 30 minutes, but I also like, we'll say no, it'll just be word salad. So we can end it there, but that's my, uh, that's my black eyed Susan spicy burning, absolute writhing question in my stomach of the week. So more, more to come. We'll, we'll watch this space. We're going to be monitoring this now that you brought it up. Um, I, this, I, I really wanted to bring this. It's been on my mind, but I want it in your mind. I want you to take this from here. I was going to say, I'm surprised. I'm. This seems like something that I would think of. I know. The look on your face is like, how did I not think to think of this? Yeah, a little Why bit. Why has this not crossed my brain yet? A little bit. We're, football season snuck up on us in a weird spot this year. It's a little... The Orioles are just too good. The Orioles have to go back to being bad if we want to like be super dialed into That's football. What my barber asked me earlier. He's like, do you think it's because... like He was like, I... Because I was like, yeah, the buzz doesn't feel quite as intense as it has leading like right before week one in the last couple of years. And he was like, do you think that's just because the Orioles are really good? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if that's it. It's like, it was a weird offseason for the Ravens. I think there was such a collective sigh of relief, I guess. It's probably equal parts Orioles and then the Lamar contract being resolved. And the fact that they basically, I mean, they brought a couple receivers in, three receivers and a new OC, but everything else is the same. I think this is still the afterglow. We're still just like smoking a bowl in bed, you know, 
<laughs> reliving what just right. happened. Right. The barbiturates yeah. are just the Lamar Jackson's a glass of whiskey before bed, that contract. And it's just, we're in a perpetual state of barbituration. How's uh, how's that working out for you? You still doing that? Yeah, I have been. Um, it's great. I like it. I'm almost done with my, my big bottle of uh, redemption whiskey that definitely was yummy and put a couple rocks in there and uh, let it water down a little. And it has this really nice caramelly kind of taste to it. Not like an actual caramel, but that's just kind of like the little note you get of it. Mm. So has a real uh, oaky afterbirth. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Uh, okay, yeah. so that is all for our segments. We did have listener questions, but they were they were a little redundant. I think we kind of answered most of them. I did want to get to one, so shout out to Zeke, shout out to Mr. Sterle, and shout out to Jack G for sending in questions. But I did want to touch on Tucker's uh, one because it's kind of it's a little thought provoking. Which cut player from Ravens history do you wish would have worked out the most? There's a, there's a couple good answers here. I think. We've got Waller. Who else do we have? Jeff Saturday, James Harrison. James Harrison, yeah. yeah. I have no recollection of Jeff Saturday. Well, no, he was literally there in like 1996. He was there for like a week and then he was good. But it's still, it doesn't even matter. That doesn't even matter. Um, not James Harrison. Screw James Harrison. I think it is James Harrison for me. Him and Suggs, like, it wasn't going to work out here. It, him he and got, Suggs on opposite sides would have been the craziest duo of all time i think the reason james harrison is so good is because he got cut by the ravens probably yeah i mean there, there you know there's probably a, a villain kind of uh origin story there to be found but if it had worked out and it would have deprived the steelers of him too uh but i don't I, I you know to be fair i kind of am glad the steelers had him because that was a great character in that rivalry that and then james harrison was good because the ravens cut him and then he took hgh after that's why well yeah that's that goes without saying i mean look at some of those those workouts and the the grout fits and all that uh, what are we doing speaking of balco great documentary balco i just love all the documentaries lately uh, i'll go with darren waller i mean that's the only other one i can think of i'm sure there's a couple more floating in the stratosphere somewhere but um waller was sick man waller still is cool and i think that would have quelled a lot of offensive firepower needs at a time where they had those issues. They might not have picked Mark Andrews if he had really worked out. Probably wouldn't have picked Hurst or like it would have been one of those two or just they would have picked a different one or something. So that's a, a good point too. But um, that's the only one that to me really stands out. Yeah. Okay. Off the dome. Okay. Well, that's all we got for uh, listener questions. The, the rest were kind of cornerback room related. We had one from uh, our boy Joe Boken Ninja JC who we've, we've both on Instagram. Now. That's right. Yeah. Go ahead and pull yeah, he said, "How many? Oh, wait. Oh, he said, how many former first-round picks are on the Ravens roster?' Joe, you can look that up yourself. Yeah, that's, come on, buddy, that's Googleable. That's not a. That's not a question for us. It's a. It's a lot. Probably twenty. It is. It, it is a lot. I was talking to Eric the other day. This team would have been fucking twenty sixteen. Like this would have been the the hot shit team in the league. Let me tell you something. Jadavian so, Clowney. Let's look. We got Nelson Aguilar one. That that surprises me. That he's a first-round pick." Odell Beckham, three. Genevian Clowney, four. Zay Flowers, five. Kyle Hamilton, six. Marlon Humphrey, seven. Lamar Jackson, eight. Tyler Linderbaum, nine. Adafi Owe, ten. Patrick Queen, 11. Roquan Smith, 12. Ronnie Stanley, 13. Justin Tucker, 14. I think that's it. Oh, wait. No, we got a couple more. Wait, let's keep going. Millie Cam, keep mental. Um, I think that's it. So like 14. I thought it was like 20. I guess Same. I went a little overboard my head, but it's still a ton. Yeah, it's a lot. 
they have two full draft classes of first round picks essentially indeed it's wild you do i mean they made what five in the last three years so that's a, a, a lion's share of it yeah so there you go joe we counted it for you don't ask us counting questions joe but i'll count for you, we'll, you we'll, listen we'll do it but we will do it under protest we will exactly so with that, um, fired up. Jake and I are ready to go. Jake was a little sick, so I know some people are getting feisty. We were supposed to record the other night, and it was just going to be me and Cole, and then Cole's dealing with the babies. But we'll be back to our regular scheduled programming. Uh, we'll be recording probably either Sunday or Monday, and then we'll probably be recording, I would guess, Thursdays as well. So something along those lines. We'll, we'll finalize that next week, I think. Yeah, I think the plan is kind of... We'll appear on one or both, um, ideally one of the recap or the, the preview shows on the main pod, and then we'll kind of keep this to a once a week deep dive type deal is what I think. I like that have. idea. I like that idea. Yeah. And so, when there's breaking news, we we always will we'll hop on and such. Yep, exactly. So is that all we got for this week's edition? Tight 120. Tight 120. Love that. So let's keep it within that. Thank you all for listening to another edition of the Jumbo Set. Uh, check us out on Twitter at Jumbo Set Pod. Uh, or is it Jumbo Set? Let me pull that up real quick just to be sure. It is Jumbo at Jumbo Set Podcast. You can find me at Jake Luke. That's L O U Q U E. Spencer is at Ravens Four Dummies. That is the number four in the middle there. Follow at Exit 52 Podcast for all that's going on with the flagship pod. Orioles still very much heating up uh, as we uh, head into the fall here and head towards October in the postseason, which they are surely going to be a part of. That's going to be a lot of fun. So stay tuned to the main pod, Exit 52 Podcast, on all your podcast feeds and YouTube. Uh, a great time of year and uh, football is just around the corner so thank you guys for bearing with us and be sure to stay tuned for the content that is to come see ya arrivederci Really, really hard, and they execute your system, and that's what it's all about. Oh, God. Yes, sir. Trust. Big trust. Big trust. Big trust. Baby. Hey, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> right on cue. Hey, right on cue. Hey, I, let me.